0: Ten seconds to go. And today, uh, since we're in the worship zone, is Maundy Thursday. Uh, And therefore, let's pray and think about what we commemorate today. Jesus, thank you that uh, that first Maundy Thursday, you showed us uh, what love was like as you washed your disciples' feet. Help us to be the servants of everybody. And you showed us what it was like to submit to the Father's will by saying, not my will, but yours. And you showed us what what it was like to set us uh, in remembrance of you. Thank you for giving us Holy Communion uh, in the Last Supper. We pray today that as we think about worship, you will give us a great sense of the fact that we worship with the whole church uh, down the ages. Amen. Amen. So, what we thought we'd do today, we're looking around, sideways. Uh, we're trying to think about how a worship service comes together. Vicky, you're often on tour. You're often putting something together, which is uh, going to be in a particular context. Just tell us a bit about how it is that you generate um, a service uh, that your task of lead with leading
1: yeah I think this is an important area to cover today isn't it because worship isn't just about looking up at God is it each other looking around us is so crucial and uh, for me when I travel often it's to very very different churches and settings and if I was only focused on worship as looking up I would definitely be doing a disservice to the people that I'm there to lead because you can't treat every room full of people the same can you really depends who's in the room, you know, what their typical style of worship is, what kind of songs they know, what helps them connect, whether they're, you know, older or younger, traditional, more modern, all those kind of factors. So um, I've spent the last seven or eight years living in the States, and uh, it's been an interesting time. I grew up here and, you know, came to Spring Harvest, went to Soul Survivor, very much from the same, you know, spiritual kind of climate that we all are here and felt god calling me at the age of about 23 to go to america i've just given away my age blast stop adding that up um i I shop with like teenagers everybody in this shops i go to are about this high and i can see over their heads because they're all about 12 um but um i went to the states with a heart to take the kind of spirituality we've got here in the uk over there and uh, often americans come as missionaries to england but i The other way around um but it it basically culminated in me leading in a different american church every single weekend and that was the way that i earned my living um so i was basically permanently on the road i would show up somewhere on a friday set up sound check and then usually do a kind of sunday evening worship concert and then be part of the, the church services sunday morning and evening and uh I can only say that I didn't know there was such a diversity of churches possible in the universe. I would go on their website maybe on the Thursday before I flew on the Friday um, to try and find, find some stuff out. But you can't really know till you look at people's faces, can you? Um, so w- when I approach worship services, the CCL chart, is anybody familiar with the CCL chart? That's been massively helpful Christian to me. Christian
0: copyright license. Yes. Thank you, Bish.
1: That's right. Yeah. And that actually is a, a kind of Uh, a very reliable list where you can see the top 25 and the top 50 songs that are used in uh, each country. So I've been drawing on that a lot in the UK and the States. So a lot of what I do is just based on going on the CCL website, which I believe is ccli.org, finding out what everybody knows, using most of them, using a few of my own, and then sort of winging the rest of it on the fly, as they say, in America.
0: Uh, And I suppose my experience brings in the other bit of things, in that uh, when I'm leading a service, what happens is you have to go and fall in with uh, what they do in that particular place. Um, And so uh, I'm, I say, in something like uh, 108 different churches, um, on any given Sunday I'll be in two different contexts, usually, morning and evening, plus midweek stuff. Uh, and people send me a, a draft of the order of service, so at least I've got a chance of seeing it. Uh, but you basically get given a menu which you can tweak and uh, fine-tune, but then have to go in and run. Uh, and that's quite an interesting experience. And one of the things uh, I'm sure for you is disparate experiences of how much input you get in. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Uh, and uh, whether you're in charge of just doing the songs, uh, whether you're in charge of uh, putting the liturgy and the songs together, or ever, uh, how much uh, does what comes out on a Sunday morning uh, become a unity for you? I mean, for me, uh, it's kind of, I get a chance to say to them, I don't like that, that flow of things. I need an extra song in there. If I'm doing a, a full immersion baptism, uh, you haven't thought about the fact that I've got to go and get changed at some point, so I need a, a worship song to cover that. Um, you know, It's all those kind of uh, nitty gritty things, as well as whether the service flows. Uh, and we're gonna talk a bit more about how service flows in a bit. Um, so j- just chat to the person next to you. How much does the stuff you do uh, get influenced by your input? How much do you put into the service in terms of do you choose the songs? Do you get a chance to say uh, what else goes into it? Just, just uh, have a think for yourself about what goes on for you uh, in terms of your involvement in a Sunday service. Just chat about that now. So what's your experience, what have you been saying?
1: Come on, you had loads to say. Who was talking about something completely unrelated? Fess up. (laughs) Like the smell in this room. (laughs)
2: Basically, as a backing vocal, I get absolutely nothing, no say whatsoever in the start of the, the, or the style of the worship, which songs are chosen. I get to choose what harmonies I sing. That's it.
0: Uh, And uh, do you you rehearse beforehand, any of you?
2: Yeah, we rehearse the Tuesday before the Sunday. That's it.
0: Well, at least there's (laughs) something. Okay.
2: Um... I'm a Methodist local preacher, which means that we get to pick the entire service. Whether you like it or not, we will pick the hymns we like. Um, The problem we have is that it sounds quite liberating, but you're stuck with what the little old ladies know, because the congregation's like, there's 10 if you're lucky, 10 to 20. And woe betide if it's not a Wesley hymn. So we're kind of limited. We can't choose the hymns we want because nobody will know them.
0: So how do you know what they know?
2: They tell you, and then we ignore them. (laughs)
0: I love the collaborative ministry going on here. (laughs)
2: We were talking about the flow of the service and I get quite a a large say in it because I'm the worship leader, um, but I have to coordinate with the person that's preaching and the leader of the service. It's an evangelical Anglican church um, and sometimes you've got to think about where things are fitting in the service, whether it's an individual song or a block of music because you can't have the goiest, praisey song just before a time of confession. So we did talk about the flow of a service.
0: And where do you do that? I mean, do Do you plan the week before or the night before? or on the morning or what? <laughs> uh,
2: usually sort of midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday night and there's a lot of phone calls and emails flying around and then we actually rehearse particularly on the Sunday morning just before the service in terms of getting all the musicians and things together. Um, but we do we do talk to each other earlier in the week and if there's a particular theme cropping up then I'll go to the leadership team meeting and discuss that maybe two or three weeks ahead.
0: Sounds good. Okay. Sounds like Others? a great,
2: great plan, yeah.
0: Excuse me. Yeah,
3: I I mean, essentially, um, we're all worship leaders, but um, we just got a bunch of musicians, and we basically, um, one of us will pick the songs, and then we just pray on the Sunday morning that the Holy Spirit will just take it wherever it needs to go. So there's no real rehearsal. We just let the
0: Holy Spirit take over. Okay.
1: Mmm, controversial.
0: Can't rehearse with the Holy Spirit. Mmm, not sure about the theology of that one. Yeah, we, uh, we were discussing that there's... One side, which is a
3: very spontaneous, as we've just been hearing, a spontaneous, get the songs on the day and see where it goes. From my background, we're very structured, so we'll have a plan it. There's a structured meeting on a Thursday where a creative team plan the service. Before that, we feed songs in, rehearse on a Friday, everything's set up for Sunday. But you know, there's still room in there, I think, to crowbar a bit of spontaneity. Yeah, it's interesting
1: you say that. I, I would actually say from my experience that I can be the most spontaneous when I am the most prepared. And uh, that's taken me a lot of time to realize because I did used to think, you know, we just need to show up and see what God's doing. But now I'll actually, I'll actually run the entire set myself. And as I worship through that set list, I'll ask the Holy Spirit to be spontaneous then as much as in the service. So I might actually come up with stuff during my Personal rehearsal of going through the set on my guitar. I, you know, I'll try singing out a little new chorus or linking songs and and things like that. So don't forget that spontaneity can actually happen as you prepare, and then you can write down what you've prepared. And you know, do you know what I mean? It's almost like a football game. I mean, you can't really play a proper game unless you've got the lines of the pitch delineated. And in the same way for me, if I don't have a a set list planned and transitions planned and and enough information for the players to actually feel safe, we can't even really play the game together. But then when you're playing the game, it gives you the ability, you know, to pass the ball. And, you know, the analogy goes on and on. Score goals and and cheer and wave your flags. Um, You know what I mean? Preparation can actually be the best best framework for spontaneity.
3: Yeah, we're um, a small Baptist church, and we... um, one of the worship leaders in the in the group, um, and I tend to. Uh, we, well, the worship leader organises the whole service, so we get to plan the flow, um, how it's all going to fit together, the transitions, choose the songs. But normally it's yeah Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. By the time I've finished choosing and um, sorting out how it all fits together, mm. um, and we we practice on the Sunday morning for the first the hour before the service.
0: I have to say that one of the annoying things about music groups rehearsing just before the service on a Sunday, which I know you have to do because you're a bit time poor, is that it does kind of give people a, who, who do arrive on time a preview of what they're going to sing. And it's kind of a pain in the neck. You think, you know, blimey. So that's what we're getting this week, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but <that's>... Encouraging. <laughs> but I, I know that actually, you know, finding the time when you can do it is quite difficult. Other folk.
4: Um, I go to quite a, a large uh, Baptist church on the worship stream leader there. And um, over the 10 years I've been there, we've gradually been able to um, expand the, the, the worship there from very traditional to very mixed now. But um, with or, uh, organizing the actual service, I work with the uh, the preacher and also the service leader earlier in the week or the week before and then we actually have our rehearsal with the AV team on the Thursday night and it's just a sound check on the Sunday morning Mm. and that that for us works well but I've been able to introduce even things like poetry within the worship time and things like that which I think has helps people to get into worship in a in a different way so
1: it's been quite encouraging
0: okay thank you that's very helpful Um, I'm gonna have to
3: this is
1: great thanks for sharing people this is awesome Exactly what we want. Lots of uh, two-way conversation.
3: There's two bits, really. I mean, we meet monthly with uh, the vicar to plan the overall theme and stuff, which tends to become quite dull. Um, <laughs> then you go off and try and sort stuff out. I think time is the most important thing, is yeah. the time you put into the preparing mm. beforehand, whether it's the time selecting the songs or putting the theme together, because our morning services are quite structured, so, cause they, so it's the once-a-month... Worship leader to choose the rest of the time, it tends to be, if you're not careful, hymn prayer sandwich. So it's the time of preparation for the morning services. But once a month, we have a more contemporary, what my vicar likes to call spring harvest type service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is a question of giving the time within the service for stuff to happen mm. so that you're not afraid of pauses and silences and stuff. So that takes a lot of preparation beforehand, yes. time, but yes. it's actually giving time for stuff to happen during the service and that's the sort of the fearful
0: bit that people yeah. have thank you yeah that's great so lots of good stuff there when i, when I was a, a vicar in uh in Wheelstone in in north london we had a a thing where we had a, a worship planning group which did quite a lot of this preparation stuff we're going to talk about spring harvest and how we do that in a minute um but uh, the worship planning group uh used to get the theme you know we, we used to preach thematically um Uh, So we'd actually write a a sermon series and do a kind of term at a time. And you get the theme of the services, the readings for the services. And the worship planning group would then say, really, how do we make the service work in terms of artistic content, uh, particularly stuff for all age, because you've got the kids in for the first bit. What will we do as a children's activity, uh, which will engage adults as well? Um, And then put the, the hymns and things in together as well. Uh, so we, we, we had quite a lot of pre-planning before we actually got uh, to put in the service itself and the running order on a Sunday. And then much of your guys, the, the experience of you guys, that you then talk about how you liaise with the musicians, etc.
1: Yeah, and in terms of liaising with musicians, um, the afternoon seminars that we've got prepared for you this week are, um, are not just for the instrumentalists who play the instruments on the topic. Do you know what I mean, if that makes sense? So this afternoon at 2.15 in here, we've got bass and drums. It's going to be the uh, bass player and drummer from Trent. And they're going to be talking about how they work together as a rhythm section. So obviously if you play bass and drums, it's great to come. But um, last week in Skegness, we did this and we had lots of people show up who were actually worship leaders as well, or people from the music group, because the more you know about the other instruments you're working with, the more you can use them. And uh, in terms of rehearsals and preparation, if you know how to speak drum language or bass language, uh, as it were, it's actually a lot easier. Uh, has anybody struggled to communicate with a drummer because they just don't really know what to say? And you start making funny mouth noises. Like if you could just go... And then you think, what am I doing? <laughs> I do that all the time. So um, I found it very, very helpful to go to sessions like that and actually find out... What technically goes into playing drums? What technically g- goes into playing bass? So, if you're trying to create a moment, or you feel like there's something that your drummer and bass player are doing that isn't quite right, this seminar today will give you the language to be able to go home and explain it. Um, and with all the other ones, you know, electric guitar is obviously a big deal, isn't it? There's lots of people in our churches that won't turn down. Or is there anyone here who has been turned down? And uh, yes. Um, So do do see those sessions as something that can help you with your rehearsals uh, and hopefully give you some tips to take back to your group to uh, improve things.
0: Let's talk a bit about uh, how we do the big top stuff at Spring Harvest. Uh, Now, no one's suggesting you can take the big top home. I I had a a music uh, uh, leader from our our group in Harrow who was really excited when he came to Spring Harvest. He said, how do we make sure we can do big top stuff back in St. Michael's? And I said, you can't do it. It doesn't work. But there are transferable principles in terms of the sort of things we do. So let's just, we'll reflect for a few moments on, on how what you get on a big top worship night at Spring Harvest comes together. Uh, And the first thing is that we have um, what's called the theme group, which Vicky and I are both on, uh, which works throughout the year looking at the whole theme. So we devise the Route 66 theme. uh, We get some guys to go away and write the study guide. And uh, so we have a fresh study guide every year. uh, And uh, Gerard Kelly and um, Russ Rook wrote it this year, I think, didn't they? That's right. Uh, And and, uh, they, they devise the theme. Uh, what we then do is say, okay, given that we're going to be doing stuff in the mornings which relates to the theme, given that we've got Bible readings in the morning which also relate to the theme, what will the end of the day look like in terms of reinforcing that theme and how do we make sure that people get a chance uh, to worship in the context of the theme? Uh, and that will include talking about what Bible uh, passages we use uh, and what preachers we use and and the usual thinking behind a a big top service is uh, we're not trying to do the theme again because you've done it in the mornings but you are trying to say you're reinforcing some of the stuff we've been learning together uh, with an inspirational preach which helps people respond uh, to what God's saying so that's that's what the theme group's role is Uh, and we try, I, I guess, together Uh, to say what will round off the day for people what will you guys when you come on site and the community of us together experience Uh, and I suppose that has parallels with what you're doing in Sunday worship you know what you're saying is the rest of church life is going somewhere when you devise uh, a Sunday morning service what are you looking for God to be doing among you as a community Uh, what is the theme going to be if you have a themed preaching uh, approach or if you use the the set readings that some churches have like the church of england the methodist etc the the lectionary readings how will they play into the life of the church and that's i guess what the theme group is doing Hmm. then we have the celebration planning group vicky what's that about
1: yeah so the theme group like pete said meets uh, for a couple of days every month throughout the year and uh, it's been an interesting transition for me pete's been on it you know for millennia. Just kidding. Um, and I've only been on it for the last year, and uh, I have to confess, as a musician and a creative, I'm not really a big fan of sitting around board tables in meetings. Does anybody here, musician-wise, find that difficult, kind of planning and admin and spreadsheets and things like that, but it's been actually such a... Uh... There aren't
0: any spreadsheets, to be fair. <laughs> She's overdoing it.
1: Yeah, no, you got you to... And the move. table
0: isn't bored either. To. even if you are
1: and we took it away didn't we we actually <laughs> we took away our board table recently from our meeting so it's more informal
0: Ooh. um
1: but yeah i tell I've, she's
0: a musician <laughs> <can't you? laughs>
1: but i've loved being part of it because you get to you get to absorb the theme all year and you get to see all of the stuff that goes behind spring harvest i had no clue how much work went into this event to make sure that theologically. It is accurate that the teaching you're getting is excellent, that we get the very best people to teach all these seminars. None of what happens here on site is by chance. There are so many grids and spreadsheets that go into the planning of this event. And it's all done prayerfully with a a prophetic view to serving the church. So being on this theme group is really opening my eyes to what happens. So when we arrive on site, there's obviously been all of that planning. We get here and then there's a group called the Celebration Planning Group, or CPG for short. And we meet every day at 2.30 and it's basically everybody that you see. We meet
0: at 2.15, you arrive at (laughs) 2.30.
1: That is not true. So not true. We actually moved it from 2.15 to 2.30 so that I could host the 2.15 worship Zone and then run over there like lightning. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> he's trying to get his own back. Uh, is, is anybody on Twitter? If you follow me on Twitter, yesterday I tweeted a very embarrassing picture of the bishop. So... Um, you can look for that. I think he's trying to get his own back. I
0: wasn't embarrassed at all. Yes, you were. Pete Greg gave me his Simpsons magazine to read, so I did.
1: So in CPG, the bishop was sitting there in the middle of this meeting holding up a Simpsons comic, and he was engrossed in it for at least five minutes.
0: It was that relaxed, informal style that you urge upon us, you <laughs> see.
1: <laughs> fight, fight, fight. <laughs> So Celebration Planning Group is a daily thing. Anybody that you see up on the platform is basically on that group. We have a representative from the worship team, so some or all of Trent would be there. Um, There's somebody on site who is the Celebration Planning Group chair. Uh, This week it's Gerard Kelly, and so he sort of chairs that meeting. We just meet in a chalet, and we talk about what we feel like God is doing. We look back on yesterday night's meeting, talk about what went well, talk about what didn't go well, and then plan the night. We have a, a fairly typical flow uh, you'll notice that usually the worship teams start by teaching a few new songs at the beginning of the night in a kind of 10-minute slot, uh, and then we have, you know, notices and, and telling you about different things that we're excited about. Uh, usually about 25 minutes of worship in a chunk because we believe that the ideal way to worship through song is to kind of have a block of of music that allows people to really find a sense of journey is anybody a fan of getting a chunk of time where you get to link songs together does anybody wish they actually got to do that it's difficult isn't it to engage people with a song and then something else and a song and something else Um, and then obviously we have the preaching and then usually about 15 minutes 20 minutes of worship at the end so that's our kind of template, isn't it? And we often do move out of it, but that's what CPG kind of brainstorms every day.
0: And one of the things that will have happened during the year from the theme group to the celebration planning group is that we've had some artistic folks sitting down writing the drama pieces that you'll see, uh, poetry, talking about which dancers to commission, uh, talking about who else to get involved like the people who do uh, the painters and that sort of stuff. So the artistic content comes together with the rest. Now I suppose again the question for you is how does that fit into a local church context? Some of you already shared that you do some of that pre-planning. But I think there is a sense in which we all need some way in which we, if we have the time to do it – and I recognise that's a real problem um, – in which we can both reflect on how stuff has gone uh, and also look to plan uh, deliberately. Uh, about what's going to happen on a Sunday morning and how it's going to work. And that's not always easy, because I think as we were exploring yesterday, that the the minister, the pastor, the vicar may not want to share that responsibility. Uh, But it's actually quite important that as team and as body we do that. Uh, and then there's how we communicate on stage, which is usually badly, uh, because you'll realise that uh, Trent are on one side of the stage and uh, the, the folk who are on the CPG are on the other. And we are
1: getting better then, aren't we? we,
0: we may, you may occasionally see us doing frantic sef- semaphores across to each other uh, to try and work out you know, whether we're going to have another song or, or actually cut it there or whatever. Uh, Question for you guys. How, uh, when you're leading worship, do you have the cues to communicate across between uh, if, if you've got a worship, a sung worship leader in one part of the, the church and, and the person who's doing the liturgical bit in the other? You know, what, what's your way of, of doing that cross fertilization? What's your liaison on stage uh, on a Sunday morning? Uh, And then also, how are folk going to respond? One of the things, you know, we we talked about the spontaneity. I think Vicky nailed quite helpfully for us the fact that uh, if you've got framework and freedom together, uh, freedom in a framework is very helpful. So you know where you're going, you know the structure, you know where you are. But if God pushes you or, or leads you in a particular direction on Sunday morning, how do you frame responses and, of course, that's not so easy in a local church because if you're trying to get people uh, to respond, uh, it's not like a big event where it's a one-off thing because you live with the pastoral consequences of responses uh, because these are the folk who are the part of the regular congregation. So how, what, what's the appropriate way, uh, if you can do it at all, to get people to respond to preaching, uh, to be prayed for? Prayer ministry is often a part of many of our churches. Who's got prayer ministry in your churches these days? Uh, It's very helpful to be able to say to people, you know, when you've received communion, you can go for prayer ministry in the side chapel. Uh, That's one way of getting a response. But again, reviewing how that works in the church, given that you can't be asking people interminably to respond in a local church setting.
1: Yeah, one of the interesting things as a worship leader at Spring Harvest um, is that gap on the stage. And usually in a local setting, we're actually quite close, aren't we, Um, where you could kind of whisper or say something. But there's quite a a vast chasm between us and the the platform team, if you are in the place that Trent are in. So one of the things we're working on is is specific signals. Um, But that is an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? If you go as a worship group to a different church, or if you find yourself dealing with a different minister, vicar, or speaker... It is, wor- it is worth having some actual physical signals um like the gentleman was saying about spontaneity spontaneity has really helped isn't it by having signals because then if you do feel like the holy spirit's saying i should do another chorus or maybe i should go into another song if you're just kind of wildly gesticulating it can mean you know sounds like a goose and this is you know you're playing like some kind of picture
0: thing on screen Can't you
1: i could <laughs> it's true. But signals are, I think, one of the most important things, especially if you're dealing with people you don't know. If you know people, you can read their body language, can't you? But um, I feel like my mic's making some very strange noises. Maybe it's the bishop. Let's blame it on him. No, it can't be. You're not even touching it. It's me. But, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been extra cheeky over the last two weeks because he is a bishop, and I just find it quite, you know, quite fun the to be able to... The problem's
0: yours, not mine. <laughs> Okay, I hope that's helpful. I mean, what what we're saying to you is obviously, you know, we've got a council of perfection because we're running a a thing with a big top with thousands of people in it. Uh, But... Asking you to think about, you know, so what would it be appropriate to transfer into your context to make the best of your Sunday morning worship? What are the things you're going to do when you go home, if you can, to talk about how best musicians and artists and liturgists uh, and uh, the leadership team of the church and the vicar, pastor, leader, how are you going to make that thing work better? Uh, and, you know, of course, there the, are the, the blessed rotors, aren't there, as well? You know? Most of us live with rotors, and the, most of the stuff about rotors is the people who don't turn up. So, who's doing intercessions this morning? Oh dear, they swap with somebody else and they're not here. <laughs> no, that's, the, that's the real politique of uh, ch- ordinary church life, isn't it? It's true. Hey ho.
1: Yeah. Are we all right? Yeah. Okay. Everybody alive? Raise a hand if you are alive. Poke someone next to you if they're not. Yeah, the thing I wanted to add about um, all of that stuff, you know, the planning and how we do it and responses, there really is only one goal for all of that, and that is that it would be a seamless service that is cohesive. And we don't want to be professional for the sake of it, do we? We don't want to be planned just for the sake of it looking good. But I think if you, if you have a great flow to a service, if it's really well prepared, if you know, the singing makes sense of the preaching, if the preaching makes sense of the singing, uh, and if there aren't any awkward pauses or, you know, clanging mistakes from the music group, those are the kind of things that allow people to settle, aren't they? And just to enjoy the service. If, uh, if it's unplanned and unrehearsed and there are mistakes, it puts people on edge. And uh, I think our planning has to serve people, doesn't it? It's not the planning that serves the planning. Uh, we do it to, to give people a really seamless and, and relaxing uh, experience. And that's what, definitely what we try to do at Spring Harvest, because we know that you guys are worship service planners does anybody find it difficult to go to another church and uh, you're just super aware of what they did wrong or what you would have done differently or you're looking at the music group and we we desperately want spring harvest to be a place where even the most uh, you know anal is basically the word i'm looking for service planner no, i'm not looking at you i was looking at those people um, <laughs> You know, where even the most analytical people can come to Spring Harvest and just switch off, where you know that the band, that the responses, where everything is going to be handled to the degree that you can just relax. So that's really why we strive for a particularly high level of production, isn't it? To let you guys just relax and know that it's all under control.
0: Well, speaking of the anal analyticals, let me just talk a little bit about flow of a service. And I'm going to use um, a structure from the Church of England. But actually, uh, as I was saying to you yesterday, we all have our own liturgies. Uh, So what I'll try and do is say to you, you know, whatever your equivalents are, think about them. Um, Those of you who are familiar with common worship, which is the Church of England's pattern for services will know that it has headings in it which try to indicate that a service has a number of elements to it. Uh, And uh, one of the great joys of the C of E is that from being uh, 20, 30 years ago a place where you only did the same service every week if you were trying to be legal or else you had to be illegal, uh, there's now this framework within which you can operate which allows you to bung in all kinds of stuff. Uh, And so there's much more flexibility built in uh, to a Church of England service. So, uh, what we do when we uh, put a service together is we try and see what the elements are. Uh, And the first thing we do is we have a gathering. And actually, whatever service you're operating in, you have a gathering. Uh, How would you acknowledge that you've come together? The Lord be with you. So some of you, are you familiar with that? uh, but uh, whether you do that, whether you uh, are familiar with Celtic worship, uh, which has uh, got a, a big focus, uh, who's, who's done wild goose or Northumbria or, or Celtic stuff?
1: There was a wild goose outside my chalet last night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, wild ge- goose, of course, is, is actually a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Um,
1: I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, your goose was clearly demonised, I think. <laughs> it's obviously a, a chaotic goose. Uh, But even in uh, uh, a fairly sort of straightforward hymn service thing, uh, hymn sandwich thing, you will get someone saying, we're now going to call upon the Lord to gather us together, and and, uh, the old old Baptist church I grew up in, there was a kind of minister's prayer, uh, which went on for ages and ages, and you could fall asleep in it, Uh, but which was the the kind of, dear Lord, we are met together, and we thank you that we have the privilege of being here, and you're so wonderful, um, or whatever. Or, in a charismatic gathering, that sense where you're saying together we acknowledge that we've come uh, as the people of God. Um, In a family service, acknowledging the children's presence. How do you gather? What's your gathering stuff? And it's to do with both liturgy and words and prayer uh, and uh, sung worship. Uh, Secondly, uh, in many services, you have a confession. It's not mandatory. It is helpful to be able to acknowledge the fact that as we come together, uh, we have uh, an acknowledgement and a a realisation of our own sinfulness before God. And we need to confess. Uh, And because we're not so good at doing sin these days in our postmodern world. As it were well we can do it we just don't acknowledge the fact we've done it um, okay. uh, the confession thing is built into the liturgy of the church of england and many other churches as well we, we come and say we're sorry sometimes we sing kiri or lord have mercy as, as a way of acknowledging our sin sometimes we say a prayer uh, which says uh, please god forgive us we hear the declaration of forgiveness uh, from god how do you do that stuff if you want to can be sung, it can be prayed, uh, it can be enacted there 's all sorts of stuff we do, but it's it 's a part of knowing that we need God, and it usually is quite useful to have it early in the service, though it can come later if you want to you're about to hold forth there, were
1: you I was not about to hold forth no. but I, I was going to say this is this uh, this kind of grid that Pete 's putting up is literally like gold dust if you are a songwriter. anybody a songwriter here or anybody want to be a songwriter um, let's see a few little shy hands it 's the retiring creatives in our midst. Um, This is amazing. Go through these, like write these down, and start thinking about whether we have songs that fit these categories. Um, I've been writing this down, as Pete shared it, over the last week. And uh, I'm actually going to be looking at these different stages in the service and saying, what songs do we have loads of And what songs do we not have many of? And there are different stages in here like gathering songs. Does anybody feel like they've killed all of the good upbeat songs? Anybody murdered any song murderers here? You just don't ever want to hear Blessed Be Your Name ever again. (laughs) You kind of lay it in the grave for a while and pray that it will be resurrected maybe with a different chord pattern or something. But um, there are songs, we need more gathering songs, you know, we need more songs of confession Uh, As we go through this, just be thinking which areas of these, um, which parts of the service do you struggle to find songs for? And uh, how do we need to be encouraging each other to write songs that actually fill those gaps?
0: And there's a sort of thing whereby liturgy uh, can be made to fit songs and work well as well, you know. Uh, So, I, I mean... I think it's a difficult question, this, because if you set liturgy to music but your music is unfamiliar to the person coming in from outside, that can be a huge turn-off. Because someone comes in and you say, well, I'm going to sing the Gloria. And you think, what's the Gloria? And then they sing it to some really uh, choir-oriented, very difficult and unsingable tune, and you get completely fed up with it. On the other hand, there are wonderful, ordinary, uh, and easy versions. Who knows the Peruvian Gloria? Glory to God, glory to God, glory in the highest. Glory to God, glory to God, glory in the highest. To him be glory forever. To him be glory forever. Alleluia, amen. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, amen. See, it's easy, isn't it? You do those. Those are doable. Wow, I can retire. No, I can't sing. That's a different thing entirely. <laughs> I
1: beg to differ. That
0: was, yeah. uh, so, so there's stuff you can do, which is simple with music. There's stuff that can be complex. Uh, how many of you got the kind of choral tradition in your church with the robed choir and, and, the, and the desire to sing stuff? How, is that easy, or is it actually becoming more culturally complex these days? Easy. It's easy. So there are still places where it works. And, and, and please don't hear us saying, you only have to do uh, the modern stuff. I think we need a rich diet of things, and some places will be places of Radio 3 choral excellence, uh, and they work for some people in the same way as the spring harvest stuff works for some people. But you've always got to keep thinking about the outsider and how they're involved in all this. So gathering and confession. Uh, Here's the third bit. How are you going to treat the word in your service? And the word is a great jumble of stuff. In some of our churches, people feel compelled to read the set Old Testament reading, the Psalm, the New Testament reading, and the Gospel. Uh, that's quite a mouthful, and it's actually quite difficult, but that, that, that's, you know, that's the kind of major input that you get in a Church of England church if you want to do it properly. Um, Be creative about what you want to use on any particular day. Make sure the reading that's being preached from is the one that's majored upon so that people can remember it. Think about printing it out uh, so that people can read it or have it on the overhead PowerPoint if you can do that. Uh, People don't bring Bibles to church much anymore except in certain traditions. So where will the text of Scripture be found for people? Uh, How will you dramatize the stuff if that's what you want to do? Uh, And the word, of course, then moves into the proclamation of the word in the sermon uh, and perhaps also a creedal affirmation. Uh, It's it's good to be able to say that uh, with the church throughout the centuries, we have believed in one God together and uh, we confess that in, in the service. But again, don't get stuck. You haven't got to do all these bits. The important thing is to realise that in a service there's a word bit. And how will you treat the word uh, reverently? Uh, I've, got, I've grown to love, interestingly, gospel processions. Uh, which is a thing that you do in Catholic Anglican churches, where people pick the gospel book up, uh, they go with candles to the middle of the church, they often have incense round about it, they sense the gospel, and they read the gospel uh, from the middle of the church. And you say, what on earth is all that about? Well, when it's explained, and part of the problem about... um, uh, Catholic worship is they don't explain enough why they're doing it Uh, when it's explained you realize what a rich symbolism that is it's about Jesus coming and being incarnate in the midst of his people uh, and the word of God being read and saying this is the gospel of the Lord Uh, and us responding to that gospel. Now, you know, you might find that too faffy for your church, and there's no reason why you should find it particularly compelling. But when you realise why people do this stuff, and and it's actually about honouring the word of God, honouring Jesus in the gospels, uh, and making sure that uh, we give him the due reverence that he, uh, he receives, then actually it can be quite a moving and symbolic thing. You probably aren't persuaded by that.
1: Might but it might smell just, in here a bit, mightn't it, if we Well, I, I think it it
0: incense in here would be very, very good, actually. It's better than beer. Well, no, better than old beer. New beer's good. <laughs> So, how will you do the word well? And, and of course, that may also involve some worship. You may want to sing some of the stuff. You may want to to have some stuff uh, that that, uh, affirms the word, finding a text which sings a bit of the passage you're reading, Uh, those wonderful cheat books that you have at the back of hymn books which say uh, this is the one that does 2 Timothy 3, and uh, you can sing a song to it if you want to. Moving on. If you've got specials in the service where will you put them Uh, for me of course because I'm often doing baptism confirmations and things that usually comes after the word because the word has been proclaimed and then you then go and do the stuff which is performative Uh, so you baptize people you confirm people uh, you do other things you you uh, uh, will authorize people to do things license people if I'm if I'm putting a new vicar in uh, on the basis of the word preached you then get them to make their vows uh, and you put the new vicar into the church. Church or whatever, but it's helpful to think where any specials that you're doing as a local congregation will fit with the rest of the service. What's going to be the basis on which you do things that you want to do? Supposing you're celebrating um, a special festival in the church. Supposing you're doing stuff where you're uh, welcoming new members, giving them the right hand of fellowship if you're a Baptist church. Where does that fit in terms of what other things that you do? Uh, How will you do public things uh, which acknowledge uh, the fact that we're together? And it's always good to pray. How will you pray creatively? I get rather bored with the fact that sometimes we just fall back on the words we're given. Or we just let some person loose and they witter on for half an hour and you get rather, rather bored. You know, In all our traditions we have bad intercession. Uh, how will you have good, fresh and helpful intercession, which really does help people focus on what's going on. Will you use images on screen? Uh, will you sing uh, taise chants? Uh, which are, who does taise in your church? Really good resource. If you haven't got into Taise. Taise is a community in France where they write lots of seemingly repetitive songs. Um, I, I can't remember a Taise chant off. Who can do a Taise chant off the top Please of?
1: Please remember when I want to see this. Hear I pray, O oh Lord, hear my prayer.
0: When I call, answer me, O oh Lord, hear my prayer. O oh Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen. To me you 're good uh, and hearing the refrain in between your prayers helps a, a different way of praying. You may want to use symbolism, light a candle when you 're praying as a way of saying God, we want you to hear this. you know there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, be creative, use not just the ear gate uh, and the mouth gate. Uh, but other ways of operating too, so that intercessions become something which people can get drawn up into. Get the children involved in doing prayers. Uh, One of the great joys that I have after doing confirmation is quite often they ask the young confirmation candidates to come and lead the prayers, and they've prepared them well. And it's a real joy to see them exercising ministry straight after you confirm them. Think creatively. We have a thing in the Church of England called the Peace where we greet each other. Uh, we are the body of Christ in one spirit. We're all baptized into one body. Let's pursue what it makes for peace and builds up our common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And, also you. and then either you go around embracing people, you, you avoid the sweaty people you don't want to hug. <laughs> uh, if you're uh, at the eight o'clock communion service, you fold your arms. <laughs> um, but it's, it, what's going on there? We're acknowledging the imminent. We're saying we're God's people together. Uh, we're doing something about saying we've been worshipping God, we've been praying to him, hearing his word. Now we're saying as the body of Christ together we've got stuff which we are doing together. And, and, and that's really quite a helpful thing. It can become a bit ritualised. It can be a thing also where people just get uncontrollably carried away and start having conversations about something that's nothing, nothing to do with anything. Um, okay, it is, it's, it's meeting, it's acknowledging. Um, but again, use the piece sensibly. Use that sense together, uh, and do you make sure you greet everybody? Hug a teenager. Yes. You know, that, this, this, uh, this, this. We are this countercultural body of people who have cross-generational membership, as we said yesterday, uh, and uh, acknowledge the children and young people among you, uh, rather than just chatting to your favorite persons, uh, and make it a place where we are God's people meeting together. Uh, In the Church of England pattern, we have uh, Twin Peaks. That's not a a slightly bizarre uh, drama series. Uh, It is actually the sense that we think that there are two things we do in worship that are important. Word and sacrament. uh, And the service of the word obviously has the one of it in it but if you're having communion service you meet God in the word as it's preached to you You respond to the word and God speaks to you uh, and you go away fed by the word you then come to the Lord's table uh, and he feeds you in bread and wine and you're sustained by receiving Jesus uh, as you receive the bread and the wine whatever your theology of the Eucharist is whether you call it mass holy communion uh, the Eucharist the Lord's Supper Uh, Or just have the bread and the wine, uh, whatever you call it. It's that sense that Jesus has promised that he'll meet us in that context. Uh, And therefore you're building towards the second peak in the service uh, where you have this encounter with God in a special way. Uh, and in the Church of England service, you'll probably know it's got a fourfold pattern to it, following what Jesus did. That people take bread, and, and uh, most people, well, at that particular point at the beginning of the service, hold up the bread and the wine, saying we're taking this and using it for special reasons. Uh, we give thanks, we use the words that Jesus gave us, or St. Paul gave us, or that our particular tradition gives us. Uh, we break it as a sign that we're doing what Jesus did, and we break the bread to share among us. Uh, and we give it to people. Uh, as, uh, th- and that uh, taking, giving thanks, breaking and giving is mirrored in the words that we use. Uh, just a little thing about it. I, some churches have got to this stage where they kind of put the bread and wine on a side table and say, go and have some when you feel like it. I don't think that works. Because I think you, even if you're trying to demystify it, You aren't actually contextualizing what you're doing. And so, however informal your tradition, can I say to you, it's really important that you say, this is stuff that God has given us, and we're using it as bread and wine to remember Jesus. Uh, And putting that framework round about it actually means that it has meaning to it, rather than just a kind of, oh, go and have some when you feel like it, which is a very individualized thing, and it hasn't got that sense of the corporate that was given us in Scripture. So... Just think about whatever, you know, I, I don't care how you do it. The, the, the Bible says he gave us a, a way of doing stuff. You haven't got to use the exact words. You haven't got to use the exact form that we use in the Church of England. But you do want to think about how you're contextualizing and making this stuff true. And again, there's a lots of stuff that can be involved in terms of good sung worship in all that. Uh, I love the fact that the Church of England, isn't just words, we can uh, stick in the middle different versions of uh holy 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 lord and uh, other things that we use uh and, and there's some great stuff you can use the the Felium. holy 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 is a really amazing go on sing us the Fellingham, holy holy holy
1: i couldn't even begin to compete holy, with your vocal skills holy
0: yeah.
1: holy is the
0: lord god almighty great stuff I'll, I'll cut you off there but we're, we're going too long but you know bung those into the ways in which you do your acclamations. so it's not just the same thing every week or, or find your own versions of them how will you do the Eucharist how do you do the communion uh, in your church why am I doing all the singing in this you're the singer not me
1: it's for my entertainment
0: yeah I'm not going to dance alright I promise um Uh, And then what will you do in terms of going out? What's the sending out stuff that you do? At the end of the service, uh, and the reason why the mass in in Catholic services is called the mass is because in the Latin it was ite, go out, missar est, you're sent out. Uh, It's a sending word, that's why it's called the mass, because missar comes from the word mass, or mass comes from the word missar. We are sent by Jesus, We thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of our our Lord Jesus Christ. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory is the way we end our service. But you can have actions to do. You can can do stuff which says we are going into the world because we don't want to stay in this building to serve God. We want to go out into the world, into our places of work, our places of uh, community, our homes and our families uh, and do the stuff that God's called us to do. What will you do to mark that? And, of course, that can be li- linked to the theme of the service in terms of what you do. Whew, there we are. That's, that's the flow and journey. Just talk to the people next to you. What, what's the stuff that you want to do in terms of flow? What have I missed in terms of what I've said, which are helpful insights for you when you put a service together? Have a chat to each other.
1: Bishop to come and find out oh, am I roving or what you've uh, why not you're good ro- you're good at roving
0: uh, I shall rove <laughs> don't be rove
1: we had a very large venue at Skegness last week and Pete would literally be running backwards and forth and I I was kind of making the analogy of Forrest Gump you know I run. told you
0: I'm not going to start running or dancing
1: so if we could pick you know extreme ends of the room one after each other that would be great
0: this has reminded me
3: that my particular church is quite weak on confession. And it's something that I, I hold to be really important.
0: But it's, it's quite rare for us to build that into our, our pattern on a Sunday morning. So, really great reminder. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Thank you. I'll just go back to the spring harvest uh, evening celebrations. Um, when you've, you've talked about communication with the people on the other side of the room, on the other side of the stage. When can we get communication between the musicians and those putting the words on the screen?
1: Oh, OK, well, I can give you a bit of insight into that. Because I did week one, and the truth is we've actually moved, as Spring Harvest, to a brand new lyric projection software. Is anybody using uh, any kind of software in their churches, words of worship, easy worship? Um, so we've actually moved over to a whole new program this year, which is going to enable us to embed video and audio and lyrics all in one program rather than having separate programs. You know, you have to fire up another program to play a video and then another one for lyrics. So um, do be gracious with us as we learn that. Uh, it's uh, it's obviously new our, and it's yeah. only
0: just come in. And I mean, when we first got it on site, the words were at the bottom of the screen, which was even worse because you couldn't see them. But we shifted that.
1: Yes. But so, um, you're, you're yeah.
0: right, it's, it's not been good this year because they're learning the new process and yeah. uh, it, it could be better. Next year we'll do it better, sorry about that. What was it called?
1: It's called Pro Presenter.
0: Pro Presenter. Yeah. I don't know it, we use Easy Worship, which I think works quite well, personally. Yep.
1: And um, We were saying that our church is quite good at doing all of those things, maybe not necessarily in that order, but... Can I ask a question for people's ideas of how you engage with the kids and the adults at the same time and encourage the adults to join in with the kids and vice versa?
0: Okay, ideas on that. I I think this is really crucial. We do try and model all-age worship here at Spring Harvest, and there's an all-age celebration. Uh, I think I'm a heretic on this. No, I'm not a heretic. I think I'm right. Um, That that we shouldn't have children's spots. We should have all-age worship. In other words, anything you do which is oriented towards the young people in worship actually also ought to grab the adult's imagination as well. Uh, and I, so I, I would kind of abolish children's talks. I would have a talk which happens to be to the children, but which is actually also something the adults can, can gain on or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I but, would agree uh, with that, definitely. But uh, let's, let's have some other ideas. I think you, you indicated you had some th- thoughts about all-age worship. Just to answer the latest. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, just to answer what the lady was just saying there, what we
3: do is we do like a welcoming song that engages with the kids, like an all-age song, and then we just
0: have an all-age worship uh, once a month with puppets and stuff like that. Yes, I and mean, uh, lots of folk will do it once a month, I think. Will you wave at me as well? I was, was going to talk on something else. In- oh, sh- sh- should we just stay the all-age worship? I'll come back to you. Anyone else on all-age worship? Let's just have some thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, with a talk, what we do, we do one, one all age once a month, and um, with the talk, we try and kind of, it's difficult, but you aim it at the middle ground, but we make sure that there's activities for children that are younger that might not get as much from the talk, so that if, for example, you're doing it on, I don't know, quite a difficult topic, they've got colouring in to do, they've got activities to do, so if they switch off, they can actually still be engaged in the talk, and it you know, you get in, it does work, but it, it, it is tricky. We, um, yeah.
1: we do have a family service once a month, but we also, every week, we start as a whole family together, the children and the adults, and then the children go off to their groups. That's more we're, where do you engage the kids and adults at the beginning of the service every week.
0: Yeah, and I think I mean, it can get repetitive too, can't it? Again, think about how you're going to send them out. One of the things that some churches do is that you, you, know, you pray for them as they go. Uh, sometimes they, in churches that have that kind of tradition, you have a little procession you know, that someone goes out with the kids and they process together, and uh, that's quite fun. But there's also the thing of you know, what you do with them in has not got to be the samey stuff, and that's, that's the hardest thing to do, because they've only got a few bits. Uh, and, you know, you can get a funny diet where they're sent out after the Old Testament reading, so all they hear is the Old Testament, which is not, not particularly good for them. Anybody else in Old Age worship? You're waving in the back here.
3: Thank you. Um, I just think it's really important to treat the kids... Uh, as you would treat the adults because we found in our church that our kids set an amazing example for our adults and the adults, rather than going, oh, bless those little kids, they're sitting there going, bloomin' heck, they're really just worshipping and actually I'm learning loads from seeing my kids and also I think it's great for families. You were talking about the family together as a whole church but also mum, dad, kids or whatever the, the relationship is and whatever the kind of dynamics of that to actually have your kids next to you praising and worshipping is encouraging, it's edifying, and I think it's right. So I love it.
1: Yeah, I think part of the problem is actually we don't have um, songs that translate between adults and kids. And if you've been coming to the big start, you'll see the kind of ethos we have here at Spring Harvest. Whoever leads worship in the main celebrations of the evening also leads worship at the big start. So we don't have somebody else who is a kids' worship leader. It is, it is modelled um, And in terms of songs, there are great songs out there. Look for songs that are actually fun for adults to sing and aren't too embarrassing because you don't have to make things embarrassing for it to be all age. Um, I've tried my hand at writing a couple. There's one called Jesus is My Best Friend and one called Open the Pages that I used at Mindhead One. But my heart is that we would actually write songs that are adult and kid-friendly that don't kind of, you know, that don't sound cheesy, that actually do kind of rock you know, but that have simple enough messages for kids. Also, we had um, Prospects. Is anyone familiar with Prospects, Causeway Prospects? They, um, they're a group that um, facilitates people with learning disabilities finding their place in church. And they, they had a conversation with me and said they loved um, simple songs, so we're not actually just needing all-age songs for adults and children, but also for people with learning disabilities so they can engage with simple themes. The people from Prospects said to me, people with learning disabilities struggle with metaphors. So look at the songs that we're using, are oh, the songs we're using full of metaphors, you know. Let's let's strip it down and make it so that everyone can join in and that we can all enjoy it. And it doesn't have to be us kind of stepping down to a child level and, and singing about, you know, balloons and, you know, fluffy rabbits or something. You know, all we have to do is create something simple, not necessarily patronizing. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, we have, um, we have a, a lady in our church who um, is very good with sign language. And teaching the children some of the signs, perhaps in the chorus, gets them really involved. And a lot of the adults really love that kind of worship as well, but that gets people involved. And we have a, a pot of flags, you know, co- come and grab a flag and, and wave your flag during the chorus bits and things like that. It gets the children up and moving when, when worship time is of any length, doing some different things we find really Great. useful.
0: One more on the LH. age, and I run, to go Bishop. To run the other guy.
4: It, it might be controversial, but um, one of the ways that I got involved in worship leading was um, watching teenagers leaving the church, and that really bothered me. So I actually um, do a, do the evening service now with a lot of the teenagers. Um, leading the worship the knock-on effect of that is that that's the service that my kids engage in because those people up on the stage are the people that they um, want to emulate and in the morning service they're looking at the stage and the people on the stage are old (laughs) and uh, by old I mean my age and younger which terrifies me but they don't they can't um They can't want to be that person in the same way that they want to be like the 14-year-old guy on the electric guitar up there. And they they engage with that far better. So we now take our kids to the evening services.
0: (laughs) Right. Now, where was the gentleman I was waving at earlier? We're not very good at
2: ministry
3: time, uh, but it's kind of not really in your structure there. Uh, but I, I go to an Anglican service in the evening, um, and they are very good at having time for people to come forward, respond to the word or respond to the worship, to be prayed for, um, just to spend time in God's presence
0: um, and have that kind of ministry focus. And I think, that, you know, in terms of th- this flow, as I'm saying, it's not actually a flow that we, where everything has been in the same order. Uh, and therefore, you know, if, if you want to put ministry time in, in the specials slot uh, after the word's been preached, so it's a straight response, do you want to put it at, uh, after the communion where people come and get prayed for? Uh, do you want to have it uh, right at the end of the... You know, there's, there's all sorts of places you can put it. I think the wisdom probably about uh, prayer ministry is that you have to do it regularly for it to take off. It's a bit like an alpha course do it once it won't work but if you do it lots then it becomes part of the stuff of the church i mean obviously there's also the 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 background spirituality that in terms of teaching it uh, and making people understand what you're doing and uh, uh, making it a part of your prayer life Uh, but actually that it's got to be built in regularly if you're going to make it happen i think
1: any more somebody right there
3: Hi yeah. The the one thing that's this has just taught me is the fact that as if you want something to come across as being informal and slick and neat, you have to have a real good competence in having the structure there behind you to, to fall back on and to know that. And and sometimes you you're governed It's great to have the structure, but you're governed by the people you have working around you. So you may have a professionally slick worship band like we have here at Spring Harvest to fall back on, which is great. But sometimes some of the churches that we work in, you don't always have that. you know. And the the mixture of musicians that you have can sometimes lead to the frustrations within that. But it's working with the people and being confident that by using that structure, you can work around that.
1: Yeah, so true. Often there's just not um, not enough resources to go around, are there? I'm, I'm actually from a very small church originally uh, of about 30 people in a small village in Kent, a little Anglican church, and uh, it, is, it is a struggle, isn't it? You can't really pull off something amazing if you just don't have the resources. So we have to kind of be patient with what we've got, don't we? But um, just uh, hang in there.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
3: I just wanted to ask a slightly separate um, but related question to do with... Um, to do with flow and the idea of uh, themes and about teaching songs one of the the big challenges that we we face in trying to do themes is that a lot of the people are only there maybe one week out of three on a completely random basis so that leaves us with a big problem about teaching themes and also introducing uh, new songs because there's a a sort of only a one in three chance that they would have heard them before and I just wonder, you know, what how are we going to introduce, how are we going to work themes with that, with that background?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is really difficult. Actually, um, I'm going to be in here at 3.45 today. Um, it's the only seminar I'm actually teaching on my own this week. So I'm going to put everything I've ever learned in my whole life into it. Um, but that's one of the things I'm going to touch on today. If you're uh, a worship leader or in the worship group and want to understand more about that, so I'm going to talk about how, how you plan sets, how you figure out teaching new songs, Uh, Basically, anything we haven't dealt with here, I'll deal with at 3:45 in this room. So, do come back, or I'll be lonely.
0: I I think, I mean, that's a really important point. The fact is that church going now is occasionalist. It's it's one week in three, it's one week in two. So, you know, if if you're lucky, Uh, and therefore everything we do, which assumes weekly attendance, is probably shot. Uh, and we therefore have to think about how we do I like the someone who said podcasts. You know, it may well be that mo- more of our communication with people has got to be through our church websites uh, and making those live and regular so that you catch the stuff in between. Um, and, we're, and we're not savvy enough quite a lot of the time to do that or your church website hasn't been updated for the last six months or whatever. I mean... Or six years. Yeah, I was going to say that. Since you bought the domain name. (laughs) Um, But I suspect that's the future. And it's interesting, actually, that uh, we we found in London uh, that churches that have websites get more attenders and more people who come come to them than those that don't uh, because people now search for a church by doing uh, the the, the search for websites and the search for local stuff. So, you know, have you got your church... uh, URL on your notice board outside the church so people will find out about you. It's, it's that kind of, that, that's the sort of communication I think we're now into. Uh, we we also ought to finish in a minute. A couple of things to say. Um, we've talked lots about... Patterns and formats, and uh, really there's there's a lot more that could be said on that. But I think I want to encourage you to go away uh, and not try and do what we've talked about this morning in terms of spring harvest, just emphasise that. Please don't hear us laying on you the idea that you've got to do it this way, but think about what the transferables are uh, into your own context and what's achievable. It sounded as though you were doing that as we went round with the questions because I heard you saying, well, we can't manage that, but we can do this. So what's the, we can't manage that, but we can do this about it. Uh, And the other bit which we just want to touch upon, I think, is that uh, there's a whole thing about how we lead as well. Uh, In the Church of England, we call it presidency. So when I go to a service, I am presiding, uh, because that's what bishops do. uh, But but actually, presidency is what anybody leading a service does. Uh, You have that sense that you are the person who has the responsibility before God for the flow of the thing. And it could be a shared presidency, so it can be someone who's doing the liturgical stuff, the minister or whatever, and the worship leader. But having a, a sense of authority, not pomposity, but authority which says people in this service are going to feel comfortable because there's someone who's actually presiding. If you don't like presidency, the other word that uh, Johnny Baker uses when you've got more informal services is a curator. Uh, and uh, sometimes a service which is kind of slightly more laid back and informal uh, needs uh, a structure. but in the end behind what you're talking about just now sir about you know framework uh, and how you work within a framework there's also the person responsible for the framework so identify who it is who are your presidents and curators uh, in terms of how your worship works uh, and sometimes you might need to help them uh, with seeing that they've got to give it a bit of liberty within uh, the structures that you've inherited
1: Yeah, and it's difficult, I think, as a sung worship leader sometimes to figure out where we fit, isn't it? The worship leader is a title really given to the person with the song list, isn't it, and the instrument. But in another sense, the worship leader is the the person presiding over the service, or it's your senior pastor. How do we fit into that? How do we take the right authority and yet submit in the right ways how much should the choices be ours how much shouldn't they like i said i'll talk a lot more about this at 345 today but um there are there is a kind of structural question isn't there and uh, it's always useful for us to think about that in our church where where are the kind of lines of authority how can we give our very best but serve the people that we're working under at the same time it's tricky isn't it? it can be a lot of tensions um and uh, can probably, I think, and I'll deal with this this afternoon, it can be one of the hardest parts of our job, can't it? The relational, figuring out the lines between us and the senior pastor or us and the preacher, how we serve that, how much information we should get up front, how much we shouldn't. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Absolutely. But when it works well, it's amazing.
0: Thank you. I hope you've found today helpful. Tomorrow we're looking at... Uh, Looking inwards and the heart and character of worship leader, 10 o'clock in the same place. We'd love to see you back here. Thanks for coming.